Well, it is my honor and privilege today to bring the word, and I'm excited to do that. And it's funny, I don't know if you've ever wondered, where do people come up with ideas for what to preach? And I'm not sure about pastors David and Scarlett, because they are preaching all the time. And when we're only preaching occasionally, we still have to, the Lord's got to do something. Well, I can tell you exactly when he dropped this little firecracker in my heart. And that was um, Pastor Scarlett was preaching on June 4th. And she said, and I brought the notes just because it was so strong when she said it, God wants to do the impossible in our lives. Amen? God wants to do the impossible in our lives. And then I wrote this note, I'm scratching it out quickly. Those things we call miracles, that's the impossible. Right? And those are the things God specializes in. Amen? I love that. So we're going to talk about miracles this morning. Um, but I first want to say for the benefit of our, um, our live stream, thank you, the word just escaped me, um, that we do have services every Sunday morning at 10 and we have services here every Wednesday at 7. Please come and join us because we're kind of a friendly group. All right, I want to ask you just a couple questions this morning, and I invite you to respond by a show of hands, okay? We're going to be mildly interactive. First question, how many of you, when I say you, I'm including myself, have ever wanted or wished for or prayed for a miracle? Okay, then. Uh, How many of you believe that you have at some time received a miracle? Praise God. And how many of you, excuse me, are believing for one or more miracles right now? Well, okay, I'm talking to the right group this morning. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to look at miracles today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, we love you so much. We don't take you or your things lightly. You have honored us by bringing us together as a church family to worship you and to hear your word today. Your word is truth. Your word is life to those who find it and health or medicine to all their flesh. So it is life to us and health and medicine to all our flesh. Let faith rise up in us today as we look into your word, because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your word going forth will not return void, but will accomplish what you send it to do. So, Father, we expect your word to accomplish great things in our lives today because we ask you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I heard it back there. All right. So what exactly is a miracle? I looked up. I like definitions. Definitions are good. A miracle is defined as a surprising and welcome event that cannot be explained by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. We know who that divine agency is, don't we? It's Jesus. Amen. But simply knowing where miracles come from isn't enough 
to get us into position to receive them in our lives. There are other things we need to know and understand before we step out in faith to believe God for our miracles. And I'm going to be reading more than I normally do just because this this just kept growing and growing and growing in me as I went along in preparation. And I don't want to leave anything out. Okay? So bear with me. But first, a story. Something I've always admired about my husband, ta-da, has been his desire for knowledge. Even as a boy, he learned to research and study in order to find the knowledge he wanted. For instance, when he was in high school, he wanted to play soccer. Excuse me. Rather than just show up and try out for the school's team, he realized he realized he needed to understand the game. So he rode his bike down to the village we lived in, went to the local library, and found some books. He studied those books in order to know the rules of play and to learn effective strategies players used. If he had stopped there, he would have understood soccer, or in Europe, football. But he, without ever playing the game, everything he learned wouldn't have amounted to anything more than head knowledge. He wouldn't have known what it was to play soccer without getting onto the field and experiencing the game in action. That doesn't negate the benefit of study. It's important, or it was important in Dave understanding the game, but the study had to go hand in hand with walking it out if he wanted to be a soccer player. So he went one step further, excuse me, and built a goalpost out of four by fours and chicken wire, because that worked, and he ran drills all summer long. He had gained the knowledge and then the skill, so he felt ready to play with the team. The things of God are similar in that we have so much to learn about God and how he works and operates from the word. A man or woman can be born again by hearing the message of salvation, but if that person never knows what Jesus provided for him in salvation, he may live a defeated life on earth before going on to heaven. He's still saved. We're still saved. But we've never, Dave talked about last week, renewing the mind. We've never renewed the mind. We've never grown up in him. Excuse me. That's why the messages we hear from pastors David and Scarlett and other speakers have been vital in helping us to grow up in Christ. We need to learn how Jesus lived here on earth as a man in order to know how we can and should live. Amen? Jesus' life's purpose was to show the Father to the world, to demonstrate how God loves us and to bring us back into the fellowship we lost in the Garden of Eden by establishing a new covenant with better promises. Jesus' ministry on earth was filled with miracles, and those, too, had purpose. Every miracle of Jesus was born out of God's love for humanity. They met some need in people, whether it was healing or provision or comfort or instruction. And every miracle of God was displaying through his precious son 
what any man or woman in right relationship with God and full of the Holy Spirit could do. I'm going to say that again because that's something sometimes we feel like we don't dare say something like that or believe something like that. But that's why we're here to live like Jesus lived. Every miracle of God was the Father displaying through Jesus what any man or woman in right relationship with God and full of the Holy Spirit could do. He showed us that we are not bound by earthly limitations, that as true citizens of heaven living as pilgrims here in the earth and operating by faith, nothing would be impossible. That's an enormous statement. And the mind isn't sure what to do with it. But let that sink into your heart, into your spirit. As citizens of heaven living in this earthly realm, nothing is impossible. Luke 137 tells us, For with God, nothing will be impossible. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And again in Matthew 19, after Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, And the Lord said to his disciples that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. They asked him, then who can be saved? Verse 26 tells us, but Jesus looked at them, his disciples, and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How many things? You betcha. All right, let's dig into the word and look at Jesus' life. Philippians 2, 5 and 7 in the New Living Translation says this. You must have the same attitude. And in there, I added my own brackets and said mindset that Jesus had. What was that attitude or mindset? Verse 6 tells us. Though he was God, he did not think it of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Lesson number one. Jesus did not do miracles as, excuse me, as God. Jesus did not do miracles as God. He did them as a man, a righteous man, full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God, but he surrendered or set aside his divine nature and operated as a man throughout his life on earth. He showed us God while he lived in this earth suit. He lived as we do. If he hadn't lived as a man, he could not have been our example or our substitute. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 tells us, So then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands or sympathizes with our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings. Another word we can put in there is temptations that we do. Yet he did not sin. He, Jesus, knows by experience every, every temptation we face. We don't like to think of Jesus in this way, but if we genuinely know this, that he gets it, 
that he has lived it before we've had to live it. There is no shame. There is, excuse me, no room for shame. Jesus understands us completely and loves us unconditionally and is always, always ready and able and willing to forgive us. We face temptations, but temptations encompass more than lying, stealing, murder, and sexual sin. And we'll talk about other ways we're tempted that hinder our faith in just a bit. When we do give in to temptation, we should run, not walk, run to 1 John 1.9 that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lesson number two. If we sin, we'll probably sin. If we sin, repent. Let it go. Why should we let it go? Because if we've genuinely repented, God has forgiven us. Period. And it's gone as far as God's concerned. So repent. Let it go and move on. Don't let shame hold you back once you've been forgiven. Believe it or not, this all has to do with miracles, so hang with me. How many times in Scripture uh, do we read the words, fear not? Whenever people saw angels, the first thing the angel said was, fear not. Or in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels, when Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, and his, Jairus' servants arrived to tell him that his uh, daughter was already dead, Jesus overheard this exchange, and he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. The King James Version says, Only believe. Jairus had to resist the temptation to fear in order to stay in faith, in order to receive what he had asked Jesus for. There is a very real temptation to give in to fear. We'll talk more about that in a minute. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was tempted to fear. His human nature did not want to endure the suffering and the shame that was ahead of him on the cross. In Matthew 26, 39, he asked the Father if there was any way he could avoid the crucifixion when he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. He was completely surrendered to God, even to the point of saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die like this. Is there any other way we can do this? But he knew that that was why he was brought to the earth. And he said, not what I want, but what you want. Whatever you want, that's what I will do. Luke 22:44 tells us that the agony of Jesus' soul was so great that he sweated great drops of blood. I don't know about you. I've been under some pressure at times, but I've never sweated blood. We know that Jesus can identify with what we're going through. Lesson number three, refuse to fear and remain in faith. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, 
we read a familiar passage about the first miracle Jesus performed. Picture it. Jesus and his disciples were at a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee, and his mother was also there. We love mothers. So Jesus is hanging out, minding his own business, enjoying the wedding, when his mother tells him, they have no more wine. Now, the next verse in the King James sounds pretty sassy to me. I mean, if my son ever called me woman, um, I'd have a problem with that. So fortunately, the new living version is less sassy. Jesus replied to Mary, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But clearly this time, mother knew best. Or, as I believe, she was um, speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit when she told the servants, do, what he, do whatever he tells you to do. In John 5.19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Okay, so Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells them to, tells you to do. So you can bet these servants are now looking to Jesus for instructions. So Jesus, who only does what he sees the father do, saw six stone jars that would each hold 20 or 30 gallons of water. He told the servants to fill them with water, then told the servants to dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. But I imagine that that's all he saw the father do. Jesus didn't need to see the outcome in order to obey the father. He just needed to do what he saw the father do. Then the master of the feast tasted the water turned to wine, called the bridegroom over and said, uh, most people serve the good stuff first. Then when everybody's been drinking a while, he brings out the cheap stuff. You have kept the best until now. Lesson number four, do whatever he tells you to do. That requires getting in his presence, reading his word, and listening. I heard a man say once that he'd been praying for an extended time, like days or weeks, and he'd say, Lord, speak to me, speak to me. When he finally got quiet enough to hear, he heard the Lord speak into his spirit. I have said many things in my word. Read that. If there's anything else I want to tell you or I want you to know, I'll tell you. I thought that's good. So this is going to be the first place we go. There's a lot of word in here. And chances are very likely you're going to find what you need right there. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between joint and marrow. If the word is a living entity, then we can expect the word to be alive in us. We must approach the word of God as though God is speaking directly to us. Because he is. When I was going through a difficult and challenging period in my life, my husband at the time, who was a pastor, was leaving me and our children for someone else. I had a dear friend, another pastor's wife, 
who spoke a profound truth to me. In fact, I still wonder if she knew how much what she told me would impact my life. I called her a lot during that time. We were both wives of ministers, and we had small children, and she was a good friend and a sister to me. One day, she simply said, get in the word so you can stand blameless before God. That doesn't mean I would be completely without fault. I don't believe any marriage uh, survives or dies based on the behavior of one person. But by submersing myself in the word, I found forgiveness for every hurtful thought and desire. Because believe me, that unrenewed part of my mind was devising forms of torture. And being the good friend she was, we schemed together. How many fingers did he really need? How much of his head could I shave before he'd wake up? And other more devious options for which I will plead the fifth. But I digress. Okay, so staying in the word will allow us to become more attuned to the voice of God, our good shepherd, rather than the accusing, scheming voice of the enemy. The word tells us that we know the voice of the good shepherd and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. Lesson number five, get into the word. Read it as if God is speaking directly to you. We are also told in the word to remember the good things God has done for us. Psalm 77, 11 to 14 says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will, I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. Psalm 143, 4-6. to six, David is at the end of himself. He doesn't know what to do. And he writes, I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. Lesson number six, remind yourself of all the good God has done for you in the past and speak it out loud so your ears and your spirit man can hear you. And if the storm you're in uh, feels like it is beating you with everything it's got and you're struggling to think of things in your own life, then begin by remembering the miracles of the Bible. Here are just a few, because as John concluded his gospel in John 21, verse 25, there are also many other things which Jesus did. If they should all be recorded one by one in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain or have room for the books that would be written. So here's just a few. Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. He cleansed the lepers. He gave sight to the man born blind. He healed the centurion's servant. It's something to remember. Again, Jesus isn't doing this as God. He's doing this as a righteous man full of the Holy Spirit. And so many times in what he did, he told the person receiving the miracle Your faith 
has made you well. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed the deaf mute. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus interrupted a funeral procession to raise a dead boy and give him back to his mother. He called Lazarus forth from the grave and he walked out alive. He cursed the fig tree and it dried up from the roots. He fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. When taxes need to be paid, I like this one, he told Peter, go down to the lake, throw in a line, and open the mouth of the first fish you catch. And he would find a large silver coin. And he told Peter, take that to pay the taxes for both you and me. Jesus calmed the sea in the midst of a great storm. Jesus walked on water and empowered Peter to do the same. Do you need a miracle? Remember that the miracles Jesus did were not because he was God. He was a righteous man full of the Holy Ghost, walking through life by faith in God, just like we do. The difference was that he was fully surrendered to God, but we can also live surrendered to God. Don't let sin consciousness paralyze you. If your heart condemns you of anything, repent and accept the Father's unconditional love and forgiveness. Then go forward in the righteousness you have in Christ. When fear comes calling, whether fear of the circumstances you find yourself in or fear that you might not get from God what you need, slap it down. Resist it like the poison it is. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's found in 2 Timothy 1.7. I've had my own experiences with fear. And, and I became very familiar with the fact that sin, or that sin, fear really is a spirit. And I don't know about you all, but in those times when I've been afraid, the enemy will bombard me pew, 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 with thoughts. But it's what I do with those thoughts that matters. Eight years ago, um, kind of out of the blue, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, and even before the official diagnosis came, I had had a routine um, hernia repair surgery. And as a result, before when I was in recovery, they realized that there was a mass uh, on or near my left ovary. That's all they knew at the time. So that makes your mind go, what? I mean, we weren't expecting that. That was not on our radar. But I will tell you that the first, when we got home from the hospital, that was all that was in our thoughts. What does this mean? What does this mean? And that first night, of course, after abdominal surgery, you're, you're sleeping in a recliner as much as you can. And, but that very first night, I experienced that bombardment of fear. Because when I could sleep, if I would wake up, the first thing I thought, those were thoughts of fear. They were coming at me. I had no control over the fact that they were coming at me. Um, I would see my kids at my funeral. I was seeing my kids you know, sad for the rest of their lives because mom's not here anymore. All of those thoughts. 
And so the next morning, the first thing I said to my husband was, I need a CD player next to where I'm sleeping. Because we had a CD of uh, our pastor at the time had recorded songs that were completely scripture. And so it wasn't the peace of God, was it? Was that Okay, the title of the CD was The Peace of God. But I knew that I needed something coming in my ears that was going to let me focus on something other than those thoughts of fear. I'm telling you, the enemy's got machine guns, and that's what he uses to bombard you with fear. But I love something that Brother Hagen used to say all the time. He would say that you can't keep a bird, or excuse me, you can't keep a bird from flying around your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. I couldn't stop those thoughts from coming at me, but I absolutely could stop myself from taking hold of those thoughts. I had to slap them down. It was whack-a-mole all night long, but that's what we have to do. We've got to resist fear like it could kill us because it can. All right. Spend time in the Word of God. Find scriptures for the miracle you need. If Jesus cursed the fig tree and it dried up and died from its roots, from its roots, then we can speak to sickness, cancer, lack, anything with a name and command it to go in the name of Jesus. If you can't find scripture that directly speaks to your situation, go to Psalm 138:8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. If you can't find anything else, That's your scripture right there. Does whatever you're dealing with concern you? There's your scripture. God may speak to you in in your spirit so loudly that... Where did I go? I'm sorry. Hang on. God may speak in your spirit so loudly you think everyone around you has heard what he said. Or you may just get a sense of a nudge inside. So subtle, you could almost ignore it. Don't. Don't ignore it. The Lord will speak to us through our spirit. And whatever he tells us to do, do it. Build your faith by reminding yourself of all God has done for you or for someone else. He's no respecter of persons. What he's done for others, he will do for you. Get settled in your heart exactly what you want from the Lord. Then ask him for it. If there's someone who's willing to agree with you for your miracle, come together. Ask God in the name of Jesus and agree together that you'll have what you've asked of him. Matthew 18:19 tells us, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Is that ambiguous? He might do it? No, he will do it. And once you've prayed and asked, you must stay in faith until you see your miracle manifest. Mark 11, 22 through 25 says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. It also means have the God kind of faith. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, 
be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whenever a thought comes to you, contrary to what you're standing for, cast it down. Bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and his word. They are one and the same. Speak to it and say, oh, no, you don't, devil. You are a liar. And then tell him what the word says, because he's not going to stick around long to listen to that. But he can be relentless, like we said. So you have to be, we have to be like a dog with a bone. Hold on to what you're believing God for until you see the manifestation of it. At Christmas time, when our children were little, our parents uh, would let us know when they had sent something in the mail for us or for the kids. They wanted us watching for it and looking for it to arrive. And the Lord really taught me something all those years ago, just with the fact that people, if they said, we sent you something, it'll be there you know, in four days or whatever. We knew that what they sent already belonged to us, even though we didn't have it in our hands. Our names were on it. It was ours before we ever saw it or touched it. That's how we have to be when we're standing in faith. When you have done all to stand, stand. God has what you need. That miracle already belongs to you. It's on its way. Keep the switch of faith turned on. The Father loves to see us live by faith. Without it, it's impossible to please him. Amen? Amen. If you have something you're believing for and you would like agreement for that, we will pray. Something I heard John Bevere say recently that helped me is that God is passionately in love with you. He knows what breaks us and he knows how to fix it because he made us. Amen? So first, we're going to pray for the live stream audience and then say goodbye to the live stream audience. And then we'll pray in the sanctuary for people who would like agreement in prayer. Live stream, folks, I'm so glad you've been with us today to hear the word. Please know you are not alone. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You have heard the word today. Let it grow roots inside of you and, and grow strong in you, knowing that that word is alive to help you get to the place of receiving your miracle. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone who is watching us by live stream this morning. Father, whatever is affecting them negatively, whatever their need, whether it's sickness or depression 
or lack. Father, you know the need. Let faith rise up in our friends today that they can call upon you. If you don't have someone right with you right now to agree with in prayer, know that the word of God says that anything you, Jesus said, Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, I will do it for you. So we're asking right now in the name of Jesus. Father, heal every person who's listening right now. Touch them in whatever way they need touched. Father, just like the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So, Father, let your people reach out to you right now and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. That the healing virtue that flowed through him into the woman with the issue of blood will flow into the people joining us today by live stream. And Father, we come into agreement with them for their miracle. We thank you for it. We receive it done. Now, there were times when miracles... um, when healings were instantaneous in in the Bible, but so many times Jesus told people, or the word tells us, they were healed as they went. I don't care what you feel like today. The word of God has gone into you. We have agreed with you in prayer. And the virtue, the healing virtue of Jesus has has flowed into you to drive out whatever is hurting you. Hold on to that. Claim it. And when the temptation comes to think, oh, I didn't get anything, I'm not healed, you just thank God for what he's done in your life. You thank him continuously until that pain goes. You thank him until that condition is gone. You thank him until you are every bit whole. And then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Send us your testimony. It encourages us to know how God is ministering to you through this ministry. Amen. Thank you for being with us today on Live Street.